Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Sunday, November 5th, 2012. I'm Pat Colvin. And I'm Keith McMillan. And the Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by the City of Salem, host of Stag Bowl 40. Tickets are on sale now. Go to www.salemciviccenter.com. And Keith, I don't know if we really saw any difference in who might get to the Stag Bowl this year necessarily based on this, uh, the results of Saturday's games. But first of all, what a mess. And secondly, no matter what happens uh, to you guys who uh, have yet to claim the uh, 13 or so automatic bids, all I, uh, all I hope for you guys is that your automatic uh, qualifier is not pulled out of a hat or a box or some kind of random draw. Yeah, that, that blows my mind that in this day and age, uh, of all the great tiebreakers out there, and there's um, you know everything from quarters led to points in, in three-way head-to-head games, each conference has its own tiebreaker, and a lot of them are very creatively done. Some of them are not that creatively done, and, and you pick a team out of a box, and that's one of the... 13 teams who clinched this week. That's how the UMAC sorted out its tiebreaker scenario. There are other tiebreaker scenarios uh, still ahead that are equally confusing, and we'll get to those. But yeah, it it was one of those weeks, Pat, where um, reminding us of some of the years, and there's been, I think, at least two of them in the past, where things have gotten pretty crazy in week 10 and 11, and we can add this year to that list. Keith loves himself some uh, some crazy tiebreakers, let me tell you. So if you ever want to hear about crazy tiebreakers, he'll tell you, regale you with the, uh, you know, the years that uh, the, the Liberty League was uh, f- four teams tied coming down to the final week and all that. Um, what uh, we do have some pretty simple ones, uh, and then we have one that is completely to us incomprehensible, and that is in a large sense because of what happened between Oberlin and Wabash on Saturday. Yeah, and that's the the big upset of Saturday. You know, there were there were certainly a lot of games between top twenty five teams. Uh, you know, a couple of of games that were a little bit surprising. For instance, St. Olaf beating Bethel. That was a top 25 upset, but St. Olaf had been a good team all season. And they beat but, them last year, too, in a similar situation. But Oberlin beating Wabash came out of nowhere. You know, we didn't see that one coming at all. And not to say that Oberlin hasn't, uh, you know, had its moments this season, but Wabash, of the four teams in the North Coast that, had, that were all tied in first place last week, I, I think most of us assumed that Wabash was the best team based on it uh, having beaten Wittenberg earlier in the season, having played you know one of the, the top strength of schedules uh, in the North region. We, we figured that Wabash was basically a shoe-in for an at-large bid if the automatic qualifier didn't shake out their way in the North Coast, and that, that basically Wabash was golden. All it had to do was finish out beating Oberlin, and and then you know its rivalry game against DePaul would only wouldn't have any effect on the North Coast. Oh, actually, it would have an effect on the North Coast race uh, now this year because they're they're part of the uh, the conference. But basically, we figured Wabash was in. All they had to do was beat teams that was better than. And for the second time this season, they lost to somebody that is below them in the standings. Uh, you may not want to say that it's an inferior team, but yeah, that, that throw that throws the North Coast. You would think it would have it would clear things up in the North Coast by taking <laughs> one one team out of the first the four way tie for first, but it actually makes it even a little bit more confusing. And of course, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast in previous weeks, you know, we've mentioned that the North Coast Athletic Conference, the football teams don't all play each other. It's an unbalanced schedule. Um, and we have Kenyon sitting here that we kind of even don't quite know what to do with. In the, in the reading of what we think is the uh, uh, the tiebreaker scenarios, it actually looks pretty good for them. And I that kind of uh, 
doesn't coincide with what we've heard from elsewhere. So we're not going to attempt to break that tiebreaker uh, here. We will hope that uh, you know that hats and boxes and random draws and dice or coin flips or whatever are not involved in the conference office at the North Coast Athletic Conference for this final season of wacky, unbalanced, protectionist craziness in the schedule-making process. Uh, one of the things we are going to do in this podcast, however, um, is try to give people... Uh, you know, not a full pool C selection scenario because I think that would actually take more than the hour and seven minutes that we've been averaging over the last few weeks. But what we wanted to do was just kind of run down who the at-large candidates are now and, and what approximate order in each region they are. And the order in the region is important because when it comes to Selection Sunday and the committee sits down on Saturday night, really, and makes this, uh, makes this decision... Um, you know, everything that we've been told over the past uh, six, seven years or so is they take the top at-large team from each region, they put them on the board, and they compare those four teams side-by-side side against each other. So it's important to be first in the region or ahead of somebody else in the region anyway because you want to make sure that you actually get on the board and get discussed. If you're stuck behind somebody who never gets into the field, then your candidacy never gets uh, never gets considered. And we outlined here... 16 slash 17, depending on how you want to deal with the North Coast, um, candidates for the seven at-large bids. And um, 24 automatic bids, one Pool B bid, which goes to a team that's not in those 24 conferences, so that includes the Independents, the UAA, the SAA, and the two teams in the SCAC uh, this year, Trinity and Austin College. And we pretty much just by general acclamation, I think we can agree that Wesley has wrapped that up. So we weren't, don't spend any time talking about Pool B, and we talk about all of these other teams. And Keith, you picture where we would be if we hadn't had the kind of Selection Sunday surprise that we had last year with two-loss St. John Fisher getting into the field over a couple of one-loss teams. We would be, you know, not knowing that the NCA would even consider that a possibility. We would be talking about the fact, well, they'd, they'd have to select two lost teams. There simply aren't seven one-loss teams available out there that you could put into the field. I think what you're saying, though, Pat, means that a team like Bridgewater State, who we know for a fact is is in the clubhouse at 9-1, and one, is not going to lose this week because it's not in the, the NFC title game. Framingham State, also 9-1. and one. Salve Regina also nine and one. Those two teams are going to play in the title game. One of them is going to win that game, win the automatic bid. The other one is going to be nine and two, and maybe get discussed, but uh, we'll have the second loss. Bridgewater State can't pick up a loss, but as a nine and one team, maybe in previous seasons we would assume nine and one means you're in. Doesn't really matter your strength of schedule all that much because one of the criteria is winning percentage. In, against regional opponents, but we pretty much say, uh, or in regional games, but we pretty much in football we say we consider all the, all the games. So we would say a nine and one team is in, pretty much at large. If there aren't seven or eight or nine, you know, remember a few years ago there was nine one loss teams, and, and so and there was only six at large spots. In that case, you know, a one loss team wouldn't be golden. But if there are more spots available than one loss teams, we would, in years past, maybe have just projected a nine and one team in automatically. And I think what we've seen over the past several seasons with the, with the selection committee is that they, they've greatly weight strength of schedule, which is something that I approve of personally. I think, you know, a, a team like Pacific Lutheran, uh, Louisiana College, Huntingdon, 
Um, you know, Wesley's not going to be in Pool C, but that's another team that that that's you know played the, some of these teams. Uh, have played really, really strong schedules over the course of the season. You know, not not by virtue of who's in their conference, but by going out and scheduling good teams. And do we want to? Dis- does the committee want to discourage that by rewarding teams who don't go out and schedule the best games they can get, and and, and they finish eight and two? The, the you know the poor the teams play a poor schedule finish nine and one the teams that play a tough schedule finish eight and two, but easily could have finished nine and one if they had played someone easier. You know, I think what we're seeing now is a committee that's willing to reward those eight and two teams. And so there are several teams, Pat, that we're about to discuss here in this group of 16 or 17 that will finish with two losses, but have some impressive wins and have an impressive schedule and may get in over a team that's eight and one or nine and one. I think one of the reasons why uh, Bridgewater State is not really uh uh, a strong contender come selection Sunday is a couple of things. One of the things to keep in mind is these are uh, things that are in the in the championship handbook that you know. To be honest with you, we frankly never discuss because they're not really all that relevant to football, except in the case of the NEFC, where uh, one of the notes here is that uh, conference postseason contests are included. And this is the only conference postseason contest in all of Division Three football, the NEFC championship game, um, and you know, frankly, Bridgewater State isn't playing in it. Um, you know, I, I think also, too, you keep in mind that uh, if, uh, you know, if um, if Framingham State loses that game, uh, the NAFC title game, Salve gets the automatic bid. I think Bridgewater State has to be behind Framingham State just based on head-to-head. Even though their record is going to be slightly different, it's not going to be – that. I don't think that's a – a significant enough enough factor to overcome head to head. I think that Bridgewater State is going to be by all measures uh, in the criteria other than potentially overall record. Uh, they're going to be behind the other two teams in the NEFC, and that's where they should be. They're the third best team in the NEFC uh, by the conference's definition because they're not one of the two playing in the conference championship game. So um, to go through, and we kind of we spent some time before. Uh, starting our recording uh, session here tonight, just kind of talking through who the at-large teams are in each region. And there have been uh, some changes. There have been some changes to order. There have been a couple teams that uh, moved in or dropped out from last week's regional rankings. Uh, you know, some of them are obvious. Uh, you know, actually, I can be pretty honest. Uh, some of them are obvious. All the teams that lost you should consider as potential to drop out of the regional rankings, but not everybody did. So I'm going to start with the East. Um, you remember in this course of this process, we take out everybody who's clinched an automatic bid, and we're going to be taking out teams that haven't clinched yet, but uh, but that are in position to. So in the East, we're not talking about Hobart. We're not talking about Cortland State. We're not talking about Salisbury. Um, and we're not going to talk about Widener either. If Widener drops into... Uh, pool C, if they lose to Delaware Valley on Saturday, then they would be an at-large candidate. Uh, and there's a couple other teams like that, which we will uh, talk about in other regions as well. But uh, So not talking about those teams. And I think the next... Uh, I don't think the order changes after this too much based off of last week. Uh, Rowan was the, uh, was, the, was the top potential at-large team last week, and I think they stay that way this week. And they didn't even play this week, so it's not a... Uh, not a significant change there. Uh, I see Lyco being next. I don't really see um, Lyco's uh, resume changing all that much. They have a 531 strength of schedule, um, and that helps you know keep them in the position that they're at. That's going to drop. They're going to play a winless Misericordia to end the season, but I think they're still going to be 
in a fairly decent position this week anyway. Uh, after that, you know, we're talking about Bridgewater State because they're a one-loss team. And I think after that, we have to add somebody in because uh, with St. John Fisher's loss, they drop out of our mock regional ranking discussion here. And I think Delaware Valley is almost the only real candidate to put in here. Yeah, Pat, we went pretty far down the list. In uh, 32 minutes, we discussed uh, before the podcast <laughs> these different permutations, but who's counting? Uh, we went pretty far down the list in the East, and and you would you know you already have the three Nefsi teams in there. You would have to get to you know the Alfred, Ithaca, Utica, you know three lost teams in the Empire Eight to find other worthy teams uh, to to be regionally ranked in the East. So we thought Delval slots in there uh, this week. Yeah, you know, the two the two two loss ECFC teams had uh, strength of schedules down in the four twenties and four forties or so. So they really were not considerations against Delaware Valley, who. Uh, while they have a similar strength of schedule, uh, they have uh, a result against a regionally ranked opponent to uh, consider, and they would, of course, have another, uh, actually two results against yeah, regionally ranked opponents, both Rowan and Lyco. And it would be a total of three by the time they play this game against Widener. But for for this for the purposes of, of adding them into the regional rankings this week, um, we would expect DelVal to move in, in there because, right, they've, they've played Rowan, they've played Lycoming. Both of those results are losses, but as we've determined in the past, having a, a, a regional a result against a regionally ranked opponent, whether it's a good or bad result, having a result is better than not having one at all. And that is one way of rewarding teams who play a stronger schedule, teams who play in difficult conferences. Now, for the ECFC, that's a little bit out of their control, but at the same time, it is in there. Not control, entirely, but, right. Right, because they, you, know, you, you build your conference up by going out and, and scheduling better games and then winning those games and then your conference, you know, that trickles down to your strength of schedule and uh, it, it eventually does show up in, in, the, uh, in the playoff um, discussion. Rewarding a, a team just for playing a regionally ranked opponent, I think, is a good indicator, too, uh, to, you know, to coaches in, in those conferences that they should be going out and actively trying to schedule teams, it is not as much of a uh, uh, a detriment if you lose that game as it may have been in the past. Um, I think we're going to move over to the South. Uh, the South in our regional rankings of the 10 teams that were ranked by the NCAA last week, Hampton-Sydney lost. I think they drop out. Uh, we are left with, uh, I think, teams in the same order. We have Remember, we'll take Mary Harden Baylor off the board. We're going to take Wesley off the board. They're going to be our Pool B team. Uh, we're going to presume that Johns Hopkins beats McDaniel in order to win the Centennial Conference automatic bid and get into the field. And if uh, Johns Hopkins loses to McDaniel, we'll do a whole separate podcast about that because that would be pretty spectacular. Um, so that leaves Huntington. Uh, WNL is in the field. Huntington is uh, our top at-large team right now out of the South. That could change in another week, but we'll keep talking about that. Uh, Louisiana College is next. Uh, Muhlenberg, I don't see reason for them uh, to change out of the order where they were. And I think that uh, when you drop out Hampton-Sydney, I think Franklin and Marshall is the next team to come in. And, and I'm not sure there was another uh, good candidate here either, to be honest with you. Yeah, and of course, we took a look at, at the South, but almost everybody in the South has played each other enough times where, where you, some of these teams further down the list have beaten up on each other. And, you know, the thing about F&M, uh, they all actually will have three results against regionally ranked teams, and they they beat WNL to begin the season. They lost to Muhlenberg, and then they beat Johns Hopkins. So they they uh, are a very worthy team to move into the regional rankings this week. 
Um, this is another instance where somebody could lose and work their way into the at-large discussion. And here I'm talking about Waynesburg. Uh, Waynesburg's unbeaten, uh, you know, but they have not wrapped up the automatic bid yet. They have a head-to-head -head game against W&J. W&J is one game behind them in the conference standings. Um, so if W&J beats Waynesburg, they end up tied in the standings, and W&J has the head-to-head -head win, and they would be the uh, automatic bid. And, and Waynesburg at 9-1 and one is somebody we would certainly have to discuss. Uh, Waynesburg's strength of schedule right now is in the bottom three. Uh, among all Division Three teams. So it would be very interesting. Obviously, it would improve by playing W&J, but W&J's uh, strength of schedule is not great either. So um, W&J's, they would, they would boost from W&J's winning percentage, but they would not get a boost from W&J's opponent's winning percentage. Uh, so they'd move up a little bit, but I'm not sure it would be a, sig a significant move. It would be, uh, I'm not going to start guessing numbers, but they're at 402 right now. Only St. Norbert and Chapman are worse in uh, Division Three in strength of schedule by the NCA's definition. So um, it's a it would be a move up, but they would be uh they'd be a pretty uh a, a pretty tenuous candidate out there on the bubble at one loss and a four low fours strength of schedule. Yeah, they, they could be in trouble. They they have their destiny in their own hands by playing Washington and Jefferson. Uh, they they need to win this week, clinch the automatic bid to get in. But Pat, as we mentioned now, each region so far there's one team that's Right now, we'd project in to, to take the AQ that could drop into to Pool C with a loss. That's Widener in the east so far, Waynesburg in the south. In the west, it could be Cal Lutheran. I mean, Cal Lutheran has not wrapped up its automatic bid yet because the team that is a game behind them is Chapman. I may have mentioned Chapman just a moment ago. They're the one with the worst strength of schedule in Division Three football. Um, or I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how many decimal points we need to take it out. They're tied with St. Norbert, uh, both of them at 397, and Chapman is sorted to the bottom. So uh, that's the uh, the worst strength of schedule in Division Three football. But Chapman, uh, if Chapman were to win that game and win the automatic bid, automatic bid, then Cal Lutheran would be in a position where they would be there with two losses, maybe not the greatest strength of schedule, but they would have a head-to-head -head win against Pacific Lutheran. And uh, let's, let's presume Cal Lutheran wins, and this is what our our board in the West looks like. I think we start now with Pacific Lutheran. Remember last week we had Bethel and Concordia Moorhead each ahead of them because they had one loss and they each had uh, a pretty decent strength of schedule. Um, but now with the uh, with the losses by Bethel and Concordia on Saturday, uh, now all three of these teams and wisconsin Platteville, the team behind this group, has two regional losses. So I think to be honest with you, it pretty much lines up almost entirely by strength of schedule with a little bit of head-to-head -head thrown in. So Pacific Lutheran at the top of our West region at-large board with a 625 strength of schedule. Bethel at 585, Concordia Moorhead at 604. And remember, Bethel has that um, crazy just barely after the game was over head-to-head uh, -head result to, to point to to keep them ahead. And then uh, Pacific, uh, I'm sorry, wisconsin Platteville at 530 is you know, would be a, a decent candidate in a lot of cases, but they are just stuck behind three other teams that have uh, each have better resumes. And they got a problem, too, because they, they don't have a win over a regionally ranked team. They do have a, a result against uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh. They also have a result against Wisconsin Whitewater, which is, is not going to end up in the regional rankings. And, and so that's a game, you know, that 
earlier in the season we thought would play into the playoff discussion and turns out it's not going to. So I don't think their resume is going to stack up well with the other teams in the West, especially with the huge strength of schedule numbers from PLU, from Concordia, Moorhead, and because Bethel has a, has a 585 and uh, also has a head-to-head win over Concordia, Moorhead. Uh, those three teams are, are on the board before Platteville, but Platteville may be a candidate when it's all said and done. People have been asking what the highest-ranked team was that did not make the field. And I believe the research showed it was uh, Mary Harden Baylor in 2003, which was ranked number 11 and did not uh, get into the NCAA playoffs. One of the things to remember is that the 2003 field and all the fields before 2005 were 28-team fields. So I think it's fair to say that in a 32-team field with four more at-large bids, uh, Mary Harden Baylor would have gotten that spot anyway. And the thing to remember, of course, is that the NCAA cares not one bit what our rankings are. Um, you know, we... Uh, give Wisconsin Platteville, I think, I'm not speaking for all the voters, but I, I think in general we give them this respect because they're the second best team in the best conference. Um, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, who did they beat? And, and Pat, it comes back to this every season. We, we run this quote out there, and it, it's now to the point where other people are repeating it, and which is, which is good yes. because it, it, it really – Sometimes we get so caught up in talking about one loss, two lost teams, and you have to say, well, it's not who you lost to, it's who you beat. And, and right now for Platteville, although I think they have a chance to get in the discussion, they may get to the board at some point um, because these three teams from the West that are ahead of them are, are, are good candidates. Um, right now, Platteville is, is behind them because they haven't beaten anybody great. We skipped the North, and it's the messy one. Um... You know, we uh, are in a position where, you know, Wabash loses. Their strength of schedule is still fairly decent. They still have 526, but, you know, they are, um, uh, you know, they're in a position where they have two bad losses, basically. Um, and I know bad losses is not an official criterion, but it's things that people still talk about. And let's just kind of run down. There's still, of course, a lot of one-loss teams in the North Region rankings as well, which is why... Uh, Wabash can take a loss and then take a pretty uh, big dive. We have them diving all the way out of the rankings. Uh, Mount Union, Concordia, Chicago, they are automatic qualifiers. They knock off the board. North Central, if all three teams in that CCW, CCIW tie win on Saturday, then North Central is the automatic qualifier, and they knock off the board as well. Uh, we're left yeah, with... Uh, I was, I'll go ahead. Sure. Well, you left a pause. I thought you wanted me to, to jump in with the... the um the different ways that this could get interesting in the uh, in the CCIW, but let's let's keep on down the north board there because you got Elmhurst on the board and uh, we projected North North Central in. Yeah, for now anyway. Um, so Elmhurst is our top at large contender out of the region. They uh, they have a one loss. They have one loss. They have a 5:30 strength of schedule. Um, that'll stay pretty close to that uh, with the uh, season-ending game against Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, followed by Heidelberg. Heidelberg's another one-loss team. Their strength of schedule continues to climb as they get into the uh, more difficult portion of their schedule. They are, um, you know, they're not above 500 yet, but I think that, uh, you know, finishing this season with uh, Baldwin Wallace will give them a little bit of a boost as well. Um, <clears throat> although not a not a perfect one, it'll help them get into the into the upper uh, 400s at least a little bit, and I think they should be in fairly decent position. Um, then Wittenberg is next. Uh, or, you know, again, this is kind of where, for our purposes, I'm sorry, Wittenberg is not next anyway. I have this little arrow on my sheet for a reason. Um, 
I have Wheaton next, actually, at two losses over the mess that is Wittenberg slash Ohio Wesleyan. Ohio Wesleyan's uh, strength of schedule is pretty low. Wittenberg's strength of schedule is a little bit better. Um, but Wheaton, I moved up because Wheaton's SOS is 558. They have a win against a regionally ranked opponent, which is something that neither uh, Wittenberg nor Ohio Wesleyan can say because they didn't play each other and both lost to Wabash. Uh, and I think that's enough of a significant difference to push them up. And then we're left with those two NCA team, NCAC teams. They could both be runners-up in that league without losing. One of them could be the champ. We've already speculated on that too much to begin with. So uh, basically, but this is our board. So if things continue to go according to form, once the automatic bids are selected and once Wesley is put in the field as the Pool B team, the teams that would be on the board for the first of seven rounds of Pool C at-large selection would be Rowan from the east, Huntington from the south, Elmhurst from the north, and Pacific Lutheran from the west. Pat, and it's important to review what you said earlier, uh, the, the theory of getting to the board. You and I right now, we have 17 teams that, that we are projecting as teams that will, that, that will be discussed in Pool C or that have legitimate Pool C chances, let's say. But for, for the committee's sake, they only want to discuss four at a time. So you rank them by each region, bring them to the board. And as you mentioned, Rowan, Huntington, Elmhurst, Pacific Lutheran. I think when you look at those four teams right now, Rowan is a two-loss team, but it's only one loss in Division Three. And Elmhurst, same thing. If they win next week, they, they'd have to beat Ohio Wesley, oh, Illinois Wesleyan excuse me, to even um, – take part in this discussion and there is a scenario where Elmhurst would win the automatic qualifier and and be out of this discussion but Rowan, Huntington, Elmhurst and Pacific Lutheran on the board at the same time you have two two lost teams with very strong strength of schedules in PLU and Huntington and then you have two teams with only one D3 loss uh, and, and have come from pretty uh, fairly strong conferences which mean they would um, they ha would have pretty good strength of schedules as well I think maybe Rowan uh, well, Rowan and Elmhurst, each one of them has a, uh, has a win over a regionally ranked opponent. Now that we've moved DelVal in, in the east uh, to the regional rankings, Rowan's win over DelVal would, uh, would help. And then Rowan would, would have a result against Cortland State. Elmhurst would be in sort of the same boat. They beat Wheaton, lost to North Central. And so uh, the way we project things now, one of those two teams would probably be the first team in, either Elmhurst or Rowan. And just so people understand, let's say... For example, that out of these four, PLU, Elmhurst, Huntington, and Rowan, we put Elmhurst in the field first. So what happens is Elmhurst goes in, and then the next team up in the north, Heidelberg, fills that spot, and we compare Heidelberg with Huntington, Rowan, and Pacific Lutheran. That's how the process would work, basically. And I would suspect, actually, in that situation, Heidelberg, with a relatively low SOS, might sit on the board a long time because the two two-loss teams who are on the board at this point have strength of schedules of over 600 uh, and are in a position where they each have results against regionally ranked opponents and that sort of thing, and Heidelberg might, uh, Heidelberg might sit for a while. But we're not going to do a whole mock Pool C process, but that is how the process works, basically. And I think that you know fans of at-large teams might be interested just to understand things a little bit and kind of see on Wednesday afternoon when that second set of regional rankings comes out, you, know, you find out where you stand and whether you're going to be on the board if things pan out or not. Yeah, what this means too, it means a couple of things. If you are one of the teams that we discussed, uh, you're a fan of a team who's third or fourth in the, in your region 
in the regional rankings, the third or fourth at-large team, right? Say, for example, uh, Pacific Lutheran, Concordia, Moorhead, Bethel, and, uh, and Platteville in the West. You've got to pay attention now to the, to the teams that are in front of you. You either want to root for you want to root for them to lose to pick up a loss and, and then they're out of your way because they drop out of pool C entirely, or you want to root for for them to be the first team in so you can get to the board quicker, and and that way your candidacy can be discussed against the you know three teams from other regions, six five four three two one times however many times uh, left however many teams are left to be selected when your team gets to the board. So I, I think it is you know. To pay attention, if you're a Heidelberg fan, you want to keep an eye on that North Coast race. But what you know, Elmhurst ahead of you, but Wheaton is behind you. So you'd like Elmhurst to get in as the AQ, and and then you know you you'd be the first team from the North to be discussed. And or for them to lose to Illinois Wesleyan on Saturday. There's a lot of there's a lot of ways people can can look. Uh, you look at the teams that are ahead of it and behind you. Look at the teams across from you too. Look at the teams who are who have similar resumes but are in other regions. Root for them to pick up another loss because you know there are so many possible permutations because these bids are not handed out on a regional basis anymore. You know they uh, they're handed out nationally and you're in competition with teams from 23 other conferences plus independents and and that sort of thing. So you really have to keep your eye on the entire board. Yeah, and the, and the other thing that you want to do if you're a team who's kind of deep down pool C is. Um, You'd, you'd be a big Widener fan this weekend. You'd be a big Waynesburg fan because you want those those teams who are undefeated right now and potentially would be one-loss teams dropping into Pool C. You want them to win their automatic bid and and just stay out of your way. You don't want more teams dropping into Pool C. You want teams getting out of Pool C, in theory, clearing the, the way for your team to get to the board a little more quickly. So, um, you know, you may you may be a, a Mayak or a Wyak or a, OAC or North Coast fan, but you all of a sudden you, you're interested in what happens in the MAC because it affects uh, this whole. The, the the way I explain this, you know, everything affects everything in terms of pool C because the the seven at large bids, everything about it has to do with the strength of the pool. How many teams are in there competing for those seven bids? And for for if you're a fan of one of those teams who's an at large team, you want fewer teams getting in your way. And so, uh, you know, again, you pay attention to the, the Widener um, result on, on Saturday. You pay attention to the, the, the pack game between Waynesburg and Washington and Jefferson. You know, late in the evening, you'll check out Cal Lutheran and Chapman and just make sure Cal Lutheran wins or, you know, that type of thing. Those, those um, the fewer teams you're competing with, uh, especially if you're, if you're one of the far down pool C teams, I think the better. Now, of course, a bunch of teams clinched automatic bids on Saturday, and of course we had two teams that clinched automatic bids back in week nine. As a reminder, that was Cortland State winning the uh, New Jersey Athletic Conference and Wisconsin Oshkosh winning the WIAC. Um, in the American Southwest Conference, uh, I think we, some of these we could just, you know, don't even really have to give too much explanation to. Mary Hart and Baylor won the, uh, won the ASC. Hobart won the Liberty League. You know, these are... Uh, you know, contests that or that weren't in doubt the last couple of weeks and just needed to be finished off. Concordia, Chicago, in the uh, Northern Athletics Conference, Linfield in the Northwest Conference, Mount Union clinched the OAC this week. Um, those were the easy ones. Uh, Salisbury with the head-to-head win against Utica in the Empire Eight is a clincher there too. Yeah, I thought there were four really interesting clinchers, Pat. You 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 picked up on on Salisbury and the Empire Eight. That could have been ugly if. 
Utica had beaten Salisbury. Then we'd have to look at a whole bunch of different results in week 11. And it didn't happen that way. It really was never close. The Seagulls, you know, option offense was running, working to perfection. Utica had no answer for it and uh, ended up being a 63-23 win for the Seagulls. They clinched their in. And the Empire 8, as competitive as it was this season, is only going to get one playoff team in, and it's Salisbury. I thought the other three really interesting races were the MIAA, the ODAC, and the UMAC. The MIAA was was interesting because Adrian had to hold off a a little bit of a rally from uh, Albion and then hold off a two-point conversion in overtime uh, to, to, to clinch that bid. And if had they had they lost it, Albion would have won, and then Adrian would be playing Huntingdon this weekend, which is already a big game, you know, for for Pool C purposes and for regional ranking purposes. But then they'd be playing for their for their life uh, this weekend. So you know, anytime you have a a game, a, a, a clinching scenario that comes down to overtime, it's already amazing enough as it is. But when it's a play that that happens in overtime, I think that that takes the cake. The uh, the Adrian Huntingdon game just to sidetrack for a little bit is, is really interesting right now uh adrian is playing for i mean adrian's already in the field i think adrian is playing to avoid mount union um adrian if they go if they drop to eight and two uh their strength of schedule is going to be great but not uh you know not awesome and there aren't any uh you know seven and three or six and four teams that have won automatic bids in this region like there usually are um I think Adrian is winning is is playing to try to avoid, uh, you know, getting annihilated in the first round. Whereas Huntington is playing because you know, well, first of all, they're playing to win the game, right? But secondly, uh, you know, they're playing for their playoff lives as well. Already with two losses, uh, they can't be in a position where they can pick up a third loss and really, with any realistic hope, hope to be in the field. But also, they'd be in a position where they pick up a win against a regionally ranked opponent. And that really solidifies their uh, their at large standing as well. Even though they'd have two losses, uh, they'd be a two loss team with a win against a regionally ranked opponent and a really good strength of schedule. And they'd be really comparable with teams such as Pacific Lutheran, who we think might be the first two loss team off the board and into the field. Yeah, I think things broke well for for Huntington because you know, for example, Hampton Sydney being regionally ranked last week that counts as a, a regionally ranked win for Huntington. And, and once regionally ranked, always regionally ranked. So. Huntington, even though HSC drops out after losing in to WNL, they still counts as a win for Huntington. Huntington beats Adrian. That would be a second region, a win over regionally ranked opponent. And then they would also have the loss to Wesley. So they'd have three results, two and one against those teams, which very few teams in the field can match. And then, um, Pat, as you said, Adrian is in already, but um, the, the way you had it projected last week, uh, you know, luckily... The, the the Mount Union bracket, the way you had it projected last week, you know, the USA South champ was going to Mount Union and the Mount Union was sort of the, the uh, bracket was built around Eastern teams. But it, it could very easily, because Michigan is, is close enough to, uh, to Ohio, you know, Adrian could could end up playing Mount Union in the first round. They could end up playing uh, a St. Thomas or a, or a Wisconsin Oshkosh or something like that. The way you had it projected in your projections last week was uh, number seven, Adrian, at number two, Concordia, Chicago, which would be about the most favorable matchup a number seven seed could hope for. So yes. sometimes it's just how things, how things break. And 
Adrian needs this win as much as, maybe not as much as Huntington does because Adrian's in either way, but they certainly have something to play for this weekend. Adrian can't go to St. Thomas because of travel, but otherwise there's a lot of uh, you know, potential top seeds that they could go to uh, if they uh, if they don't win on Saturday. Um, the MIAC is another one of those uh, conference races that got interesting, and you may have noticed we did not talk about St. Olaf when we talked about the regional rankings. Um, they're six and two in region right now with a 515 uh, strength of schedule. So that puts them a little bit on the outside right now. They'd be uh, about 15 points of SOS behind Platteville. But in a position where, you know, if Olaf were to pull off one more upset and be a two loss team in competition here, that they would be, um, you know, in a, in a position where we might be talking about them uh, a week from now on Selection Sunday. I mean, not a week from now because it's midnight on Sunday, but a, a week from. Well, this time Saturday night. St. Olaf finishes the season, or the regular season anyway, at St. Thomas. If they win that game, that's obviously a significant boost for them. It gives them two wins against regionally ranked opponents, and we could be talking about them. But the way that the title was clinched was not only by St. Thomas taking care of business, which is what bubble teams want Waynesburg and Widener and Cal Lutheran to do this week, but also by... Bethel uh, losing to St. Olaf. And of course, Concordia had more head losing, but that head to head against St. Thomas. And it took the Mayak from a potential three bid league. If, uh, if Concordia more had, had won and Concordia more had Bethel and St. Thomas had all finished nine and one because the Mayak was so strong this year. I think all three of those teams would have been in. Uh, now you got Concordia Moorhead and Bethel as solid two lost teams on the board, you know, behind Pacific Lutheran in the West, but certainly no guarantee to get in this field here. So you got St. Thomas has clinched the bid, and that's the only thing that's certain at this point, the teams who have those AQs in hand. And I think the big thing for for St. Thomas, when you compare it to some of their previous playoff runs, is they used to finish their schedule up in week 10, have a week 11 bye, get healthy, sit back and watch everybody else you know, lose, win, play their way into the rankings. And this week they have, a like you mentioned, Pat, they got a big game to play on Saturday. They may not be playing to get in the playoffs, but they, they're playing for potential number one seed status, you know, and, and that can be a big, big deal when you're talking about winning a couple rounds in the playoffs and having to travel in the West. You know, this is not like, the you know, being a number one seed in, in in the north or the east where you most everything is pretty close in the south and the west you can get stuck with some really rough road trips deep in the playoffs the, the further along that you win you know going from delaware to texas going from minnesota out to oregon you know so it's a big deal for for st thomas to win this game to maintain its strong strength of schedule it may be if st thomas wins they may be so strong and linfield may be so strong in terms of strength of schedule both teams finishing undefeated that they may, I, I don't know how you can separate Minnesota from the West region, but you, there may be some push somewhere to make those two teams number one seeds. It'll be interesting too. Um, you know, one of the things to remember is that a couple of years ago, well, for last season, they added in this kind of uh, tiebreaker for undefeated teams, which basically is meant to kind of separate one seeds from each other or try to figure out who the one seeds are in comparison to other teams. And remember that. One of the criteria for comparing unbeaten teams is uh, the previous year's playoff uh, results. So in this case, you know, last year, uh, St. Thomas had better strength of schedule than Wisconsin Whitewater. But, you know, Whitewater has had the best uh, postseason results of anybody the, the previous two years. So uh, St. Thomas had to travel there. But, 
know, in this instance, you know, you, you compare St. Thomas to Linfield. You know, St. Thomas has won more postseason games than Linfield in the in the in the recent past, including a head-to-head a couple of years ago. Um, and Oshkosh has no uh, postseason resume uh, previously whatsoever. So St. Thomas is in a position where they lost that tiebreaker last year, but they be in a position to win that tiebreaker this time around. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that Wisconsin Oshkosh because you're right. As a team, you know, you basically look at them as a, a team that you, you know, top five team could be a number one seed, especially if someone were to lose unexpectedly on on Saturday. Pat, your projection, your week nine projection, built a bracket around Wisconsin Oshkosh and then uh, put Linfield number one and um, St. Thomas number two in, in the same bracket. That could certainly happen at this at this point. But I think if you if you pick the the four best teams in the country right now, and if there were a way to get St. Thomas and Linfield each be number one seeds, uh, they would each hold the advantage over Wisconsin Oshkosh in terms of uh, putting them in the same bracket. Yep. Uh- now, uh, of course, Linfield's strength of schedule is going to continue to drop. It dropped uh, 80 points or so this week. It will drop uh, a little bit more next week. Not quite as much. Pacific is not as uh, far down in the standings as Puget Sound was, but uh, Linfield stands to lose <coughs> Excuse me, another, uh, I think it did the calculations earlier, they stand to lose at least another 25 points or so of strength of schedule and end up in the 620s, uh, which would still put them ahead of Wisconsin Oshkosh, but, you know, Geography also would play a bit of a role, and you mentioned it. And I tried to build a bracket with uh, Linfield and St. Thomas as number one seeds, and based on the teams that we had uh, projected in the field last week, it was really difficult slash impossible slash uh, not economically feasible to do that. But you know, the teams that get in the field will continue to change, and maybe uh, things will look. A little bit different this week. Um, the, one of the other conferences that, of course, had uh, a, a pretty exciting way to award its automatic bid was the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. Well, yeah, that, that's a conference that's been pretty much this entire season filled with unpredictable results. There was nobody dominating the conference. There were five teams that, that of this of the eight that were legitimately, you know, causing causing problems, you know, to each other and and. And, and creating a scenario where if certain results had broken a certain way, you could finish with, you know, any one of Guilford, Randolph-Macon, Hampton-Sydney, WNL, and I think uh, Catholic was the fifth team that was in it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't Emory and Henry. It wasn't Shenandoah. Well, that, that, that leaves Catholic then. Right. So, so you had five teams that were potential. No, Bridgewater was the fifth team. Oh, that makes much more sense. Thank you. Right. Well, I was trying. I was trying to figure. You know, Catholic had the upset over Emory and Henry, but I didn't think they were in the mix. So, in any case, uh, Bridgewater and Randolph Macon played last week, and then uh, you know Hampton Sydney and Randolph Macon play this. They play the game in week eleven, and if and if things had broken a certain way, you know, thank God that W and L beat Hampton Sydney, clinched the bid because that would have been. You know, you felt you felt the North Coast was confusing. This this Odak scenario uh, w- was getting there. It was getting confusing because. Um, it, it has just been a very competitive league, you know, in, in a lot of ways this this season. And I think WNL is probably the best representative uh, in the playoffs. Maybe you can make an argument for for Hampton Sydney, but WNL presents a problem in you know they run this kind of the 
you know, uh, it's almost a pistol-based offense. It's got option elements. Um, you know, they, they've run for ridiculous numbers of yards in, in some games this season. They've got a player that, that everybody would, will probably want to see in Luke Heinsohn, guy who's, you know, scored touchdowns and then kicked the field goal, uh, kicked the extra point afterwards. So I, I think, uh, you know, lucky for, for uh, those of us who, who spend time breaking down these tiebreaker scenarios that WNL pulled out that game uh, against Hampton Sydney. It was in overtime. It was 45-42, I believe, was the final. And uh, that was one of these ones where uh, kind of the same way the Empire 8 was. If the result had broken the other way, it would have been, you know, all kinds of different scenarios up in the air for, for week 11. And uh, instead, we just chalk it up as one of the ones that's already clinched. And then... We have the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference, which uh, is handing out just its second football automatic bid ever. And the way this ended up in a three-way tie was uh, Greenville went up to Northwestern in Minnesota and beat them on their field. And then uh, St. Scholastica took care of business. They beat uh, Minnesota Morris to uh, remain with one loss in the conference, and they had a three, three-way tie for one loss. One of those where everybody beat each other, and, of course, nobody lost to anybody else. And that's the one where the uh, name was drawn out of a box, and it was St. Scholastica getting the automatic bid. Yeah, Pat, the, the line you wrote on the site this week was um, the Upper Midwest Conference automatic bid had overtime of its own. You know, the WNL in Hampton, Sydney had to play to four overtimes, and it was Adrian and Albion had a game that went into overtime in, in their bid. You know, the overtime in the UMAC was after the game, which didn't even involve St. Scholastica. Uh, you know, it was Greenville beat uh, Northwestern, and then the name is drawn at random. And I can't think of a worse way to solve a tiebreaker. And it's not to be critical of, of the UMAC because they, do have some, they did have some other tiebreakers in place in front of uh, drawing the name out of the hat. I don't think they had quite enough. I would have rather seen it be decided by something that happened on the field this year. I don't think that the, the taking the name out of the box or um, taking it out of the hat would be is all that much better than the Rose Bowl rule. But but at least the Rose Bowl rule has to do with uh, you know the team that's had the drought the longest, and it has to do with something. As you mentioned when we discussed this earlier, something that's happened on the field at some point in time. You know, the random draw, I just think it's tough. It would be tough for me, you know, as the coach of Greenville or Northwestern to say that, hey, you guys didn't get in because of this. And, uh, you know, every every team has its chance, had its chance to clinch outright. And uh, so, so maybe they can't complain that in that sense. And 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 maybe it's not all that much better than having a points-based tiebreaker where if Wheaton holds North Central out of the end zone late in the game, that they have a, they have a tiebreaker advantage because Wheaton has had the game in hand and, and it's won at that point. And that's not a margin of victory. is not necessarily always a great way to solve it, but it's, it's, it's still a little bit better than drawing it randomly. Um, <clears throat> Scholastica probably would have won a points-based one as well. They annihilated Greenville 45-3. to I'm just kind of running through here. Uh, Greenville beat Northwestern by 11, and then I'm looking for the Northwestern St. Scholastica game. That was a a one-point game, yeah. So uh, St. Scholastica would have won it that way. If you'd gone to a uh, strength of schedule tiebreaker, which is something some conferences use, uh, Greenville had the best strength of schedule. Uh, That's actually... I shouldn't uh, entirely say that because no, I guess everybody is uh, – maybe the entire season is played for all three of these teams, come to think of it. So 
Greenville's SOS is 495. St. Scholastica's is 492. And Northwestern's was uh, 483. Actually, that's something that could be affected by Week 11 games, too, depending on how Milliken does and Whitworth and the teams that these guys played out of conference. Yeah. So you wouldn't even be able to maybe even use that tiebreaker. Um, we talked about the MIAC last week. Um, you know, this this season they had put in an extra couple of layers of tiebreakers before getting to the Rose Bowl rule. Um, and one of the layers of tiebreakers, which I think is actually after Rose Bowl rule, is Massey rating. And that's the first time I've seen anything like that. I've seen the NCAA's... Strength of schedule rating. There are a couple of conferences that have used that. I'm not sure if they still are, but Massey rating, that was a first for me. Hey, if we're going to Massey rating, we might as well go to D3Football.com poll rating, right? Yeah, I know. Thanks. Thanks, guys. What the heck? We're only right in your backyard. But in, in all honesty, you know, it would be nice if these things sorted themselves out by, by things that happen on the field. And we probably should talk a little bit about that scenario, I guess, at the end of the Wheaton um, North Central game because it could come into play again this week in the MAC when, when DelVal not only needs to win, but they need to win by 16 or more against Widener to get in. Uh, DelVal doesn't have a very good case for itself in Pool C. So how do you, you know, you play a whole season just figuring out how to win games. Now you got to figure out, I, we don't just have to beat this other undefeated team, but we got to figure out how to beat it badly. And uh, for Wheaton, it, it was going in that direction. They were up in that game 35-14, and they're playing sort of a soft defense, a, a prevent in terms of trying to not, not let North Central score quickly on a deep pass, which is the smart thing to do in that situation. You want to protect your lead. But, you know, it enabled North Central to drive down the field and punch one touchdown in, which Wheaton got out of there winning the game. You know, they won 35-21. It, it was so they, they by playing a tough defense, it was smart. It, it killed the clock, and they got out of there with the victory. But it ended up only being a 14-point victory when they need a 20-point victory to hold the tiebreaker edge. And, and so some people, I think, were questioning why Wheaton didn't either try to score again, try to play some sort of different defense in that situation. Do you play the game differently based on knowing the tiebreaker scenario in advance? And I think as wacky as that sounds, I think you have to. I think DelVal has to try now this week not just to beat Widener, but they have to try to blow Widener out. I think they know fully what's in front of them, and they've had that you know, kind of ingrained in them for the past three weeks. So they certainly know the situation really well up there. I think the other telling thing out of that North Central Wheaton game, Keith, was North Central scores this touchdown, and then they don't onside kick. You know, they know that they they haven't won the they haven't won the con they haven't won the battle, but they've won the war, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's and that changes things, and and it's hard to say that's better than uh, drawing it out of a hat, but it's still there's there's strategy in there, there's there's things to play for. Even when the game is lost, there's a reason for North Central to do certain things in that game. It, it reminds me of a few years ago. Actually, this is probably several years ago, and I don't even remember the scenario. Two thousand four ASC. Exactly what I'm talking about, Pat. That's scary. Yeah. Scary out there, people. If you're listening, we got this. We just know too, too, too much about this stuff. Yeah, there was a, a case in in the uh, American Southwest where Harden Simmons won a game in overtime, and so they didn't attempt the extra point. And that three way tiebreaker between, I believe, it was East Texas Baptist, May Harden Baylor, and Harden Simmons. Uh, each team had beaten each other by seven, except Harden Simmons, which had won a game by six in overtime and lost the tiebreaker because it never got to attempt the extra point. Yeah, that is uh, 2003, actually. So uh, I guess I can claim some sense of sanity for not knowing all the particulars. But East Texas Baptist goes to the playoffs. 
Uh, they beat T Trinity, Texas. They advance and then lose 13-7 at Lyco. That was another one where um, yeah, the, the margin of the game was seven points in, in each of those instances, but also the, the margin of victory in that conference was capped at a specific number as well. So um, that also keeps people from you know, trying to intentionally blow somebody out in order to really run up that uh, that uh, margin of victory. You know, there's no, there's no perfect way to do this in football because we only play each other once. We don't have home-and-home home series. We don't have the ability to have a conference tournament. And we're just kind of stuck with whatever we can do. But, you know, as, as Keith has mentioned a couple of times already, uh, you always have your destiny in front of you if you have an automatic bid. Automatic bid. All you have to do is win the conference. And if winning the conference means that you have to, you know, sweep the conference and go undefeated in conference play, well, in, in that in that instance, you leave no doubt and you get your automatic bid and you don't have to worry about what the tiebreaker is. Yeah, and, and people are going to complain next Sunday, um, especially given the, the number of teams that think they have a shot right now in, in Pool C. There's going to be a lot of complaining, most likely. But every team that's complaining, if you're, if you're down to two losses already, you, ha you had a chance. To, to seal this thing up and you can go back and look at the points in your season where you, you could have played better and you could have wrapped up a playoff bid. What I think about these tiebreaker scenarios is I, I used to think that that this the 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 points in head to head matchups against the three best three way tiebreaker. But Midwest Conference has one uh, that that may come into play here in, in week 11 and it's it may be the best tiebreaker out there it's quarters led over the course of a season and what that does among is, the tied teams right but it, it means every game that you played was it was important every part of the game was important not just the final margin so you you run up the score or not just uh, a late touchdown you know every part of that game was important and and f so many times you hear the argument uh, the the whole season is important you know the undefeated teams it's more pure when you you know that that stuff that they say about division one sometimes it, it that almost kind of brings that same scenario into D3 where um, every moment of, of every game is key. And so how it works or how it would work in the uh, Midwest Conference if it comes down to this. Of course, obviously, there's there's three teams left in contention, Lake Forest, St. Norbert, and Illinois College. Uh, Lake Forest and St. Norbert play each other this upcoming weekend, and it could be really simple. Lake Forest could beat St. Norbert, They'd be undefeated in the conference, and we wouldn't be talking about anything else. Um, that's uh, certainly one scenario. Lake Forest would obviously win the automatic bid there. Um, there's a possibility that, of course, St. Norbert beats Lake Forest. And then then uh, at that point, what happens with Illinois College is important. Illinois College is playing Carroll. Uh, Carroll is not as... Uh, as much of a gimme win as it has been in some years. Let's put it that way. Carroll is a, a real significant uh, team in that league right now. So if Carroll were to beat Illinois College and St. Norbert uh, beat Lake Forest, then uh, St. Norbert and Lake Forest end up tied uh, at the top of the conference, and uh, St. Norbert wins because they won the head-to-head -head game that would be coming up here on Saturday. Now, if all three of them end up in a three-way tie, if we do end up going to this quarters-led um, tiebreaker it's looking like illinois college has the advantage but that is uh not, not something that we have spent a lot of time breaking down and confirming we will uh confer with the conference office at some point this week just to just to clarify that for sure but you know the thing about quarters led which is interesting keith is that um it shows some 
you know, strength of, if not dominance, being in control of the game throughout the course of the game and not just, uh, you know, coming back at the end of, of the game and winning it. I guess that's the one thing that it has going for it. Sure, it would be like uh, Concordia Moorhead this year, which hadn't trailed at all all season until playing St. Thomas on Saturday. Even the one game they lost, they didn't trail at any point in that game because Bethel scored on the final play and, and, and uh, hit the conversion to win. We uh, are running up, coming up to our uh, hour here. We will be going a little bit over time, but heck, everybody else went to overtime this week, so we're going to do that as well. Uh, some of the conferences yet to be decided. We've talked about we talked about the Centennial. Johns Hopkins needs to beat McDaniel, and if they don't, then we can have another discussion about that. Uh, the CCIW, um, which in North Central, Elmhurst, and Il uh, not Illinois Wesleyan, of course, Wheaton, are all tied uh, in a three-way tie for that conference lead right now. Uh, if they all finish uh, with wins this weekend, then North Central gets the win on that uh, points tiebreaker that Keith mentioned earlier. If one of those teams loses and drops out of the tie, then it's just a two-way tie, and whoever won the head-to-head -head matchup between those two teams uh, gets the automatic bid to the playoffs. For example, if Elmerson and Wheaton end up tied, North Central loses this weekend, then Elmers would get the uh, automatic bid based on the head-to-head -head against Wheaton. Wheaton would get head-to-head -head if it was only them and North Central, and North Central would get head-to-head -head if it was only them and Elmers. So that's how that would break down. Uh, we have head-to-head -head games in a, uh, in a handful of conferences. Of course, the NEFC is one of them in the predetermined championship game in this 14-team conference. This would take place between Framingham State and Salve Regina. Uh, Heartland Collegiate Athletic Conference, even though Hanover lost on Saturday, uh, they can still win the HCAC if they beat Franklin. Uh, Franklin is a game ahead, uh, and of course the head-to-head -head winner would, uh, would get the advantage there. Uh, the Skyac we've already talked about, uh, Chapman and Cal Lutheran. Uh, the NCAC, we've already talked about the complete in and utter inability to make any sense of the tiebreakers. Uh, the ECFC is another head-to-head -head game. Uh, between Mount Ida and Castleton State, and that has an interesting wrinkle thrown into it this week. Yeah, it may be the most interesting of, of the the clinching games here on Saturday because Castleton State's playing without quarterback Shane Brzezowski, who fractured his fibula in in last week's game, and, and so who I I might just say might be the only name you, that any people actually know from Castleton State. He's the most prominent player on that team. And he's, he's a guy who's, you know, got career numbers. He's put up numbers, and he may be one of the candidates that, that sneaks into the Gallardi Trophy discussion because a lot of times, um, you know, like Alex Theory was, was in it last year, someone who'd helped, you know, build a, a program and, and had been the quarterback and had put up kind of gaudy numbers over the course of several seasons, uh, even though it was in a not-that-strong conference. He's, the, he's that type of player, a guy who's the face of, of a program, uh, and then the biggest game maybe in program history to date for Castleton State. You know, Castleton's only, what, in its fifth or sixth season? Fourth, actually. Four years. Fourth season. So they're, they're playing now for the chance uh, to win the ECFC and go to the playoffs. Mount to basically Ida. do what St. Scholastica did last year. Right, right. And and that may end the same way St. Scholastica's uh, dream ended at, at St. Thomas because, you know, the ECFC team is playing possibly for a number number you know, eight, maybe number seven seed in the East. So you get a date with Hobart or Mountain Union or something like that. But so, so, so the dream is this week, you know, you, this is the big game for, for those teams. And uh, because, you know, the, the first round of the playoffs, you know, may not end the way they want it to. So, so the excitement is now for Mount Ida. This is the biggest game in Mount Ida's history uh, because that, that history only dates back to 99. And, um, 
you know, it's a shame for Castleton State to have to play that game without their quarterback, potentially their best player. But at the same time, it's the biggest game in school history for all the rest of those guys, too. And so, if you know, you got to go out there and, and, and pick your game up now. You don't have your best player. Uh, a freshman is going to step in and, uh, you know, Castleton State, maybe they, they have to win it with defense instead of winning it with offense this time around. It'll uh, it, it'll be, you know, uh, for as infrequently as the ECFC gets discussed in the national picture. This will be one of the weeks to, to keep an eye on it. Uh, we mentioned uh, the head-to-head game in the pack between Waynesburg and W&J. Uh, we already talked about the Midwest Conference tiebreakers. Uh, and the USA South is another one of those where Christopher Newport uh, can clinch it by finishing out. They finish with Methodist. If they lose and Ferrum wins, then Ferrum would win the automatic bid. Yeah, I think the, the two that you can pretty much chalk up as in uh, Johns Hopkins playing McDaniel and then Christopher Newport, uh, it, you know, we've seen crazy things happen. Started the podcast off with Oberlin beating Wabash, which we didn't think would happen. So, you know, a, a, any given Saturday, as they say. But I, I think those two, you know, you kind of project those as in. Uh, you got I think the, I put Cal Lutheran in too. Yeah, Cal Lutheran at Chapman. That, that's true. Although Chapman's had a decent season, obviously uh, Chapman has its own chances of of winning the Skyhack if it wins this game. Um, you know, Waynesburg W and J is good. Uh, the, you know, the ones that that are are conf- you know I, I like Waynesburg W and J. I like the NFC title game. I like the the Heartland coming down to the Victory Bell game between Franklin and Hanover. I like Mount As my <laughs> Mount Ida and Castleton. But I think you know the one that that really stands out among this group is the one that doesn't have any big games this week, but they're all big, and, and that's the North Coast. It's Kenyon playing Denison, Wittenberg plays Oberlin, which now is suddenly a little bit more of a dangerous team, and Ohio Wesleyan plays Worcester. And unless somebody loses out of those three teams, all three of those teams should be favored. If they all win, you know, it, it, it comes down to, these, to the tiebreakers, which aren't simple in, in the North Coast because those three teams all didn't play each other. Uh, Ohio Wesleyan did beat Kenyon, but but there's no result between Wittenberg and Kenyon or Wittenberg and Ohio Wesleyan. So, you know, three-way tie scenarios, whatever it comes down to in the North Coast, it's going to be something that that ticks the other two teams off. Now, of course, uh, those aren't the only games going on next weekend, but those are uh, ones with playoff implications. Of course, Week 11 is also traditionally a big rivalry week. Uh, we have, uh, of course, Amherst playing Williams. DePlaw playing Wabash, Randolph-Macon playing Hampton-Sydney, and Cortland State playing Ithaca. Those are the uh, some of the traditional uh, Week 11 rivalry games. The uh, you know uh, in, in some cases teams playing for I don't know. I mean obviously uh, Ithaca has a chance to spoil Cortland's uh, seeding. Uh, DePaul may see Wabash as being particularly vulnerable the way things have gone, but DePaul has, uh, has really struggled this year. Um, you know, and then the other, uh, you know, kind of smaller rivalries is, uh, you know, Salisbury plays Frostburg State uh, and that sort of thing. But I, I think that, uh, you know, week 11, sometimes the rivalries get kind of lost in the shuffle if they're not, uh, you know, games that have playoff implications on them. Sure. I mean, I think it's 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 kind of a quiet year for those rivalry games. You know, last year we did a big blowout around the nation on rivalry games and alumni's memory years later. And that's the thing about these rivalry games is that you get um you know maybe the biggest crowd of the season it's bigger than homecoming at some places it it's a uh the only time you get to play in crowd of you know 7500 or 10000 or 12 125 you know it can be 
uh, fans lined up around the field. It can really be something else. And uh, it, it's they're just some years they're great games with playoff implications or undefeated seasons to be spoiled or or conference titles on the line. And some years they're just wonderful experiences and rivalry games. And that's seems like this year that that is where uh, most of the games are. You know, there's other ones. There's, you know, Muhlenberg, Moravian, which can be a big deal in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, Trinity, Connecticut and Wesleyan actually should be a pretty good one this year because Wesleyan is on the uptick a little bit in in the NESCAC. And, you know, Williams Amherst is the big NESCAC game. But um, but but that, you know, that could be a nice one in Connecticut. Um, you know, there, there's there's games all over the place. It would be nice if one of these years Knox and Monmouth would get interesting, that bronze turkey game again. But um, the big games this week are, are games that aren't rivalries. And that's, you know, your, your Adrian at Huntingdon, you know, your Michigan team flying down to Alabama just to, just to play a, a, a 10th game. That's the big game this week, you know, the, the games like that and all these ones that we mentioned earlier with the, uh, with the, the title implications. Harden Simmons, Louisiana College is another one of those games. Pool C consideration as well. Um, and a bunch of games, obviously, coming up on Saturday. Even though a lot of teams uh, uh, and a couple of conferences entirely are in the clubhouse this week and, and waiting for a tournament or waiting for uh, or, or packing in their uniforms or waiting for potential ECAC bowl game bids, some teams on the East Coast. Um, otherwise, you know, we are uh, we're, we're headed down to Selection Sunday, and. Uh, you know, Selection Sunday, as far as we know, is an NCAA.com broadcast again this year. Uh, I've not heard anything about it going back to ESPN or ESPN News or ESPNU. So it sounds like it will be an online production only. It tends to be now late in the afternoon because uh, of production purposes, I guess. So, you know, stick with us. We will have uh, all sorts of great things this week. We'll have our usual slate of columnists. We'll have the play of the week. Keith's Around the Nation column on Thursday. Uh, we'll have uh, D3 reports and highlights. Uh, we'll do a playoff projection. Uh, and then we will do another one again Saturday night going into Sunday. And then Sunday we will uh, hopefully not listen to the St. Olaf crowd complain as much as they did last year. Uh, they're either going to be in a situation where they're going to be three losses or two losses with a big win against St. Thomas to brag about, something like that. So uh, all those sorts of things coming up between now and the end of the regular season. And here it is, Keith. Week 11 is upon us. Yeah, you brought that St. Olaf thing uh, out of the closet. That was kind of random. The, uh, it was yeah. discussed at the game I was at on Saturday. Let's put yeah. it that way. Well, well, well there you go. Um, yeah, and, and I'm looking forward to, to week 11 in a lot of ways and in ways you know different than, than previous years because a lot of times, as we mentioned, it's, it's all about the rivalry games and, and, and things like that. But I think this year, Maybe more than any other year. We've had years where things have gone haywire in week 11 and a whole bunch of two lost teams uh, get to the board or, or two lost teams that didn't have a chance have a chance. Um, but we haven't had any, any year where things slowly go haywire in weeks 8, 9, and 10. And then all of a sudden, week 11, this many teams are alive. And, and I think... You know, again, Pat, we talk about that that group of 16 teams or 17 teams that we talked about that that don't have an automatic big clinch. And most of them aren't playing for one this week. Uh, and and I guess none of them are. And yet they all have a chance to get in the playoffs. And, you know, it, it could get hairy. I mean, so a lot of these teams could lose They're You know, Louisiana College playing a tough game this week. And, and uh, you know, we talked about some of the other teams, Elmhurst. 
you know, has has a tough game. So even though they're you know maybe one of the first teams off the board, they're not in, you know, and uh, it, it could get it could get really interesting. You know, one other thing I'm looking forward to in in week eleven too, and this is you know kind of playing off what happened last week is just some of those New Jersey teams getting back on the field. Um, four games, five, four games canceled and one postponed uh, in the New York, New Jersey area. And uh, Montclair State and Brockport State did get to get their game in on Sunday morning, which was kind of cool for them because it ended up being uh, something of a game for the ages. And when you see the uh, the play of the week nominations, you'll see that. Um, but I'm look, looking forward to, to seeing those teams play again, and especially when you, when you're, it's your senior year, you only have ten games and you lose a game. It it is kind of a big deal, and 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 to be able to play one more time uh, as expected is going to be pretty nice for them. Also, Pat, you mentioned the schedule during the week. Um, people are asking us on Twitter for our predictions. That's Friday morning. The triple take, we, we try to, instead of just throwing you a, a prediction off the top of our heads, we'll try to put some thought into it. And uh, some of us take a really, really long time to do our pre- predictions, but at least it it's, means it's something that we can stand on uh, on Saturday and, and look back at and say, I put some time into that. <laughs> uh, occasionally, I do toss off one-liners as my triple take predictions. That's certainly true. If you were in the uh, 16 or 17 Pool C bubble teams that we talked about in the first 20 minutes of this podcast. Those are the teams you want to watch on Saturday. You want Widener to take care of business. You want Waynesburg to take care of business. And you want Cal Lutheran to take care of business. And all three of those teams will free up potential at-large bids for somebody else to get. So you want to watch the teams in front of you and behind you. You need to watch the teams on either side of you. The teams that are in competition in all three other regions, not just your own. Those are the ones you need to watch for on Saturday as we get you uh, this final week of the 2012 Division Three regular season here on the Around the Nation podcast, sponsored by the City of Salem, host of Stag Bowl 40. Tickets on sale now at www.salemciviccenter.com. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman, and that's the Around the Nation podcast. <laughs>